Good morning, great men and women of God. Uh, we're in a series this month called Conversate, and it's called Conversate just because I wanted to irritate people who know the English language. I know it's not a word, but it's just fun to use it. Um, we're going to be in a couple different Gospels today, and I want to encourage you to take out your Bible or, or take out, uh, if you have it on your phone, pull out your phone. We're going to load it up to Luke is where we're going to start, but we're going to be bouncing through a couple different examples of some things that Jesus does, and so I want you to be ready to go to those places with us. And I can already tell that you got much more sleep than the last service. You guys, you seem quicker, more alive, more intelligent. More ready to laugh. Very good. Good job, guys. Here's a question. Has anyone ever asked you a question that changed your life? Will you marry me? It's a question that can change your life. Sometimes questions invite us to think deeply like this one. What are you pretending not to know? Some questions can reorient our priorities. I heard someone ask this a few weeks ago. I'm still thinking about it. This person said, are you working for your resume or for your eulogy? A friend of mine was recovering from a suicide attempt, and he said, uh, coming out of this in the hospital, uh, a good friend of his asked him this, are you willing to try as hard to live as you tried to die? And he said, that question just got me thinking. Last year, a question that really changed my life about parenting was when someone said, Thomas, are you called by God to raise godly kids or to be a godly father? Oh. Good questions can get around our defenses. They can overcome our objections. They can open us up to things we've not yet considered. And that's why as we're in this series called Conversate, I, I want to come to this thought today. When it comes to spiritual conversations, could our asking and our listening be more powerful than our telling. See, this year at Pulp Rock, we're exploring what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. That's what 2018 is about for us. What did Jesus mean when he said, follow me? And this month, we're looking at uh, following Jesus into the kinds of conversations he had. You see, we are people who follow a God that sends, and the God that sends us out. And we've been sent out to alert people to the reign of God through Jesus Christ. And so having conversations with people, spiritual conversations, conversations that point people towards following Christ, that's what we want to have. And, and as we just sang earlier about this, this no other peace and no other joy, and these, that's not stuff that we just want for us. We want the world to know these things. And so learning how to talk with people about God is important. And so last week what we did is we started with this thought that uh, before we can learn sometimes to talk about God, we need to see how we are supposed to talk to God. And so Jesus was asked, how do you talk to God? And he shared the Lord's Prayer. I hope that some of you have been able to be praying that over this last week prior to conversations you're going into just to kind of orient yourself before you talk about God, that you've talked to God. But this week I want us to see something else about Jesus while Jesus was known as one of the most amazing teachers, people could not believe his teaching. It was incredible. It was radical. But it was his asking and his listening that really seemed to invite people towards God. In fact, if you begin to look through the Gospels and start to count these, you would find that Jesus asked over 300 questions of people. 
His questions allowed people space to struggle. His questions gave people room to begin to think and consider their lives. In fact, a lot of the times, when someone asked Jesus a question, what did he do? He answered by asking another question. Very infuriating. It seems like Jesus is more interested in asking and listening than just telling. So this morning what I want to do is I want to show you these four different examples of times that Jesus really was asking and listening and using those uh, ways of talking with people to help point them towards God. And my hope is, is that we're going to find some better ways to share the story with others that we know as well. We're going to start in Luke chapter 10. Now Luke chapter 10 recounts kind of a famous story where this Jewish scholar approached Jesus Christ. And this scholar in verse 25 of chapter 10 asked Jesus a very direct question. Teacher, he said, what should I do to inherit the life of the coming age? How do I get to heaven? How do I have eternal life? This is a, a very simple, straightforward question. How would you respond if someone asked you this question? I mean, it's kind of crazy. There's, there's so often in our lives we're, we're thinking about talking with people about God and we're wondering, how can I get to a point to talk about this? And yet this is a conversation being served up on a silver platter. The guy just walks up to Jesus and asks this question. What a great thing. If I was asked this question, I would be so excited. I would say, well, let me just start telling you how to do it. Now, that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't tell. He asks. Verse 26, well, replied Jesus, what's written in the law? What's your interpretation of it? Who cares what this guy's interpretation of it is? right? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is right. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, you know, I was in grad school learning about theology and stuff, and there would always be, you know, professors up front teaching us stuff, and then there would be people who'd want to raise their hands and ask these questions, and really it was an excuse for them just to go on and on about what they thought, and I remember I would always sit there and go, dude, I'm not paying to hear you. I'm paying to hear her. I'm paying to hear him. That's it. Just stop talking about it. I want to, this, I'm here. I don't want to come get education from you. And I feel like this is kind of this thought with Jesus. People are like, well, we're, we're paying to hear you, Jesus. You're the one. Yet he asked this guy, well, what do you think? Why would he ask that question? So he does, and the man does respond. He goes, well, I believe that God teaches us we're supposed to love God, and we're supposed to love our neighbor. Jesus says, yes, you're right. But the guy seemed to have some kind of agenda because he asked a second question. But who is my neighbor? And again, Jesus does not answer his question. If somebody had asked me, I would have said, well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. Jesus says, no, you know, let me tell you a story. A story about a good Samaritan. About a man who helped someone that was in need right in front of them. A story where the main hero was someone that this Jewish scholar would have never believed and at the end of his story, Jesus has this great opportunity to kind of close the loop. He could have said at the end of the story, and so, as my story illustrates, your neighbor is anyone who's in need in front of you. But he doesn't do that. He even ends his story with a question. Here it is. Which of these three do you think turned out to be the neighbor? Now, what makes this such a great question to ask this guy? I think this scholar was confronted with his beliefs and his prejudices. He had to answer this question. He had to decide who this was. He, he, he knew what the right theology was, but now he's in a situation where he's have to answer this question, well, who was the good neighbor? He was confronted with this idea that holiness is not about what you know, but how you live. It's not about having great answers, but having great love. 
And like so many of his conversations, this conversation could have been so much shorter if Jesus had just answered the question. Don't be dodgy. Just tell us what the answer is. But again, it's like Jesus was more interested in conversations than answers. I found that often answers end conversations. Questions open them up. Now, let me show you another example over in Matthew chapter 16. Here's another situation where Jesus is going to ask a question that's going to change someone's life. In Matthew chapter 16, we find this guy named Peter. Peter has been following Jesus for several years. Peter's come to believe some very important things about Jesus. He thinks he's an amazing rabbi. He thinks that somehow this man has some kind of power from God. He's able to do miraculous things. He thinks that Jesus might even be sent from God and might even be a holy one. But he's wrestling with his understanding that Jesus might be more. Who is Jesus really? Could he be more than a rabbi? Could he be the Christ? Could he be the Son of God? Could he be God? Now, Jesus could have just told him, hey, Peter, um, I'm going to clear this up. I'm God. Hey, that's who I am. Oh, thank you. I've been wondering. No problem. I just thought I'd tell you. Now we can move on with our life. It would have been so powerful if Jesus had just said this to Peter. In fact, sometimes people read the Gospels and they're like, I'm just frustrated because it doesn't seem like Jesus comes out and says that he's God. Why is that? Jesus seemed to think it was more powerful to have Peter say it. Now look at this conversation that they have in verse 13. So Jesus is talking to the disciples. They're kind of arguing about some things uh, about who he is. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's a term for himself. Well, they replied, some say it's John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? It's a great question. Simon Peter answered, what did he say? You are the what? Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Now that sentence at the very end just might be the most important statement in the whole gospel of Matthew. It's the biggest line in the script, and yet the hero gives it to a secondary character. Why? Maybe when people come to a truth or a decision on their own, it means more. And maybe there's something powerful about Peter saying these words out loud. Now think about it. He's been thinking about it. I think he's, but he hadn't yet said it yet. This is an important moment. I remember when uh, Jessica and I were dating and I was preparing to ask her to marry me. And I was thinking for weeks about uh, asking her to marry me and I actually had bought the ring and it was just burning a hole in my pocket. I couldn't wait to unload that ring. I just felt I was going to get robbed or lose it or drop it. I was just so nervous about this. And I, I knew I wanted to marry her. But the moment that I got down on my knees, on my knee in Estes Park, Colorado, and I said the words, will you marry me? <laughs> Just like that. The, the saying of the words, it became real, right? In a way that it was in my heart, yeah, I think I want to marry her, but, but boy, you know, but the moment you say it, it becomes real. The moment Peter says this, it becomes real. This reminds me, by the way, we're not going to turn there, but it reminds me of something that Paul wrote in Romans, Romans 10, 9. Say this with me. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is so important about confessing with our mouth? Isn't it enough just to believe in our heart? 
And I don't think Paul is saying that we confess out loud so that God can hear us. I, I'm, I just, my take on this is that we confess out loud so we can hear ourselves say this. There's something powerful about going, you know, in my heart I kind of believe like Jesus is God, but I'm going to say it. Jesus is God. Jesus died. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. These are powerful statements, and in the saying of them, it's powerful in a way that just having it in your heart doesn't do that. By the way, this is one of the reasons why whenever we do baptism at Pulpit Rock, you'll see people ask questions. Do you believe Jesus Christ died and rose again? Yes. Haven't yet had someone say no. That's always been a risky part of it. But they say yes. It's a verbal response. I believe this. Saying it changes us. But back to this conversation with, with Peter, I want you to see that questions, uh, they're risky because they're not safe. They're not scripted. Peter could have said anything. Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus, I say that you're the best teacher I've ever heard. Ah, that's not the answer. And, and maybe that could have led someone off there. I've heard it said that lawyers will never ask uh, someone on the stand a question that they don't already know the answer to. I don't know if that's true. That makes sense to me. But when it comes to spiritual conversations, maybe some of the best questions are ones where we really don't know what they're going to say. Because the goal of asking spiritual questions is not to get the answer that we're looking for. It's to let God lead them to their answer. What do they have to say? Now we see this happen in another example. Let me flip you over here to John chapter 5. Just want to give you some snapshots today of these questions and conversations. John chapter 5 is another conversation where Jesus is going to ask a question. And in John's gospel, in chapter 5, what we find is Jesus and his disciples walking up to this part of the city where all of the people that were disabled and sick and ill, this is where they would stay. They would just kind of gather here. And the reason they would is because they could practice there what they could, the only thing that they could do in their infirm situation, which was to beg. Jesus walks up, picks one guy out, and starts talking to him. John tells us, there was a man who'd been there in the same six state for 38 years. How many years? 38 years. 38 years he's been lying here with a little sign that says, you know, whatever. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time already. This is important that John tells us this. And then he asks him the question, which I think might be one of the dumbest questions I've ever could imagine someone asking. Do you want to get well, he asked him. The guy has been sick for almost four decades. He's been laying right there for almost four decades. John tells us that Jesus knew that, and he has the audacity to ask the man, what do you want? Of course he wants to be healed, right? Jesus should have just said this. Hey, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm not going to give you any money, but I'm going to heal you, and you'll be alive, and then you can thank me. No. Why go through this charade? And I wonder with this question, maybe Jesus didn't want to force change on this person. Imagine what a big life change this would be. If for 38 years all you've known is one life, if for 38 years you've only made a living in one way, and all of a sudden if Jesus really heals him, and this guy stands up and he begins to walk, and he can, he can now work, and he can now talk with people, and he can be in a different part of society. I mean, his whole life was going to change, and Jesus knows this is monumental, and so he just says to him, hey, what do you really want? Do you want that? Asking a question 
gave this man the dignity of a choice. I want to show you one more example because Jesus wasn't just, at, it'd be easy at this point to go, okay, so I got it. I got, to, I got to figure out a good question to get people where I want them to go. Wait a minute. Jesus wasn't just asking questions to lead people. He was asking questions to listen to them. This is what is so astounding to me is that Jesus was the most important person. Jesus had every right answer. In every room he was ever going to be in, no matter who else was in the room, he was the most important conversation. And you would think that he would just go around telling people all the time, but yet we so often find him listening. He listened to people talk about their illnesses. He listened to people talk about their families. He listened to people talk about what made them angry. He listened to people tell him what they thought about God. Now, I just think that's funny. I just think, how many times is Jesus sitting here going, oh, yeah, so tell me more about this God that you know. Yeah, uh-huh. And that's how he's like, wow. But he would listen to him. And I don't know about you, but when I read these stories, I, I don't get the sense that Jesus was halfway listening or that he was just listening long enough, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, let me tell you now. He actually seemed that he wanted to hear people. The example of this, we go back to Luke for this last example. In Luke, at the very end of his gospel, chapter 24, we find a couple walking down this road. Hours before Jesus has risen from the dead. This is all fresh stuff. And they're talking about this news. Jesus has risen. That's what I heard. Well, Mary told me this. All right, what's going on? Jesus walks up. For some reason, they don't recognize him. They think he's just another guy. And so as he's standing there, he has a great opportunity. If I was Jesus... I think it would have been so fun that day just to run around going, ta-da, hey, it's me, I'm back. You guys thought I was gone? I'm back. Just announcing who he was, telling people, why didn't he just run out and do that? Instead, he asks a question. You're obviously having a very important discussion on your walk. What's it all about? That's a deceptively deep question. Hey, what's it all about? What do you think all this stuff is going on? One of them, Cleopas by name, answered him, you must be the only person around Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on there the last few days. That's also funny to me. Jesus is like, well, I, I seem to recall a few things. I was, I was there. But he doesn't. Like, why didn't he say, no, I know more than it. No, what things? What are these things that you're talking about? What do they mean to you? What's important? What's, what are you confused by? Why do you have a picture of gloom? And then Jesus listened as they talked about their beliefs and their hopes and their gloom. They began to talk about, well, we, we really thought that Jesus was going to be this answer for us, and he turned out to be a failure, and then, I don't know, there's a rumor going on today that maybe he's, he's alive again. I just... Jesus listened to them, and then he began to teach them. He did begin to teach. He did tell them. He explained how the resurrection fit into this bigger story of God. But notice that he started by finding out what's going on with you and how are you interpreting these things and what does this mean to you? Jesus acted like asking and listening was more important than telling. He seemed to enjoy genuine conversations more than easy answers. So how can Jesus show us some better ways to have spiritual conversations? I want to invite Adam up for just a moment and just give you a moment to kind of reflect on some of this stuff. And there's a question I want to give to you this morning. And here's the reflection question today. 
When was the last time you were listened to in a non-judgmental, agenda-free, compassionate way? I want you to really think, when does that happen for you? And then how did it make you feel? Let's sit with that question for a moment. I've been sitting on that question all week. How did it make you feel when you had an experience like that? Someone share with me. What, what, how did it make you feel when someone really listened to you? Validated. Validated. What else? Accepted? Valued. I'm sorry? Valued. Valued. The risk in asking a question like this is I realize some of us might sit here and go, you know, I don't think I've ever been listened to. In fact, sometimes I, I reflect in my life, I've actually had to pay people to listen to me. <laughs> They're called counselors. And I'm convinced that what you're, 80% of what you're getting is just someone that's going to listen to you. How did it make you feel? I think about some times when I felt like I was really listened to by someone who, who actually uh, wasn't just waiting to speak but wanted to hear what I was thinking about something, it, it made me feel honest. I felt like, okay, if you're really listening, I, I, I'll tell you what's really going on. Here's what I think. Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I believe. Here's what I don't believe. I felt safe. Do you think this is one of the things that people experienced being around Jesus? Maybe this is why so many people said, I'm going to tell you stuff. Mary Schaller, author of the book, The Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations, notes that Christians and non-Christians agree on one thing. They don't like evangelism. Christians and non-Christians would agree on that. Now, that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it does feel like, I don't know if it feels like to you, but sometimes talking with God about someone who believes differently than me gets awkward really quick, especially on an airplane. 
right? You're trapped. Why is it so awkward and difficult? Mary says one reason that she thinks it's difficult to talk with people who believe differently than we do is that we focus on telling. Now, telling produces something that sociologists call reactance theory. Let me explain that just in a couple sentences. Reactance happens when a person feels that someone or something is taking away their choices or that someone is saying, pressuring us to adopt a certain view. And what happens is when people begin to feel that pressure, reactance kicks in and they actually adopt or strengthen a contrary view. They dig their heels in on something. And if you've ever been in a conversation with someone and you found yourself like that, you're like, I don't know why I'm even fighting for this position. I don't even like it. I just don't want to agree with you. Someone's telling us. There's a great image of reactance theory. Don't throw stones at this sign. The problem with telling is that telling sets us up as the expert. We have the answer and they don't have the answer. We're the ones who are right and so we're going to help them get there. Asking sets us up as equals though. We come alongside them in this journey of discovery just like Jesus did on that road to Emmaus. Well, what do you guys think this means? And we become the guide on the side. This isn't really uh, specific to the topic of spiritual conversations, but I'll just throw this out. Probably the number one thing I've learned about being a parent of teenagers is that asking will take you where telling will not. And if you want to flip the script and you're uh, doing something with, and you have some teenagers, they are used to you telling them when they were little, do this, do this, think this, think this. But you start flipping that script and just start asking questions. Well, what do you think we should do? What do you believe about this? So how do we become more like Christ? I want to throw out two suggestions about how we follow Jesus in asking and listening. Here's the first one, uh, is to really answer this question. How am I doing at asking like Jesus? What's your natural style when it comes to spiritual conversation? Some of us are better natural question askers, and some of us are better maybe telling, but we want to get better at this. Getting better at asking questions allows people to explain things from where they are, their own level of conversation and understanding. And it builds relational trust. So how could you begin turning some of the tellings into askings? One way is to begin to cultivate good questions. I don't naturally have good questions, so I tend to, whenever I hear a good question, I latch onto it and I, I want to ask it. It becomes important. Let me throw out some examples of what I think are good questions. Good questions are open-ended. They're not easily answered with yes or no. Like if you ask this, hey, what do you think that God might be like? I'd be primed to say, well, let me tell you what God is like, but I'm interested to know, what do you think that he is like? Good questions help people discover things. If someone's sharing a story with you about their life, you could ask them, hey, how do you think God might have been involved in that? Well, gosh, I never considered that God would be involved in that situation. One thing that hangs us up sometimes is this, that good questions are not about getting the right answer. Sometimes in conversations, we are so much pressure feeling to correct wrong thinking or errant theology. Oh, well, that's wrong. Let me tell them why you're wrong. Instead, sometimes asking can draw that stuff out. What if you did a follow-up question like this? Wow, can you tell me more about that? Just practice that question with me. I like it. Wow. About that, yes. You listen and you learn where you are. This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Wow. A lot of events in Jerusalem. Tell me more about that. What do you think it means? Good questions are not about getting people to where you want them to go. This is a trick. This is the, the hard one. We want to ask leading questions. 
This is a bad question. Why don't you believe in God when there's so much overwhelming evidence that He exists? Um, okay, uh, I do. I, like, it does, that's, that doesn't lead someone. Instead, you could say this, hey, I believe in God. Sometimes I have doubts. I'd really be interested. What are, what are doubts that you have about God? Good questions uh, like this help open us up. And, and sometimes we realize if our question has an agenda, it might be a bad question. By the way, one of the reasons I think that Jesus so often refused to answer questions is he could recognize there's an agenda behind this question. Good questions open up the story of people's lives. You, you ask them, hey, when was the happiest moment of your life? Who's been the biggest influence on your life? I, those don't seem spiritual in a sense, but wow, that begins to unlock what, what people's lives have been like. And good questions sometimes make the best answers. Jesus often answered questions with questions because he saw that sometimes people quest, people's questions were really attempts to tell their story. I had a recent email exchange a couple months ago with somebody who was saying, hey, I had this question, and, and I, I started answering the question. And then it came back, and it was three or four emails in until I realized they don't really have a question about this at all. They experienced this, and they were trying to get to it. Oh. So they weren't just wanting to know my theology. They were wanting to know where God was. That's a different course. Maybe next time somebody asks you a question about what you believe or what your position is, maybe instead of launching into all your argument and reason like I would, you just say this, would you tell me more what you mean by that? This is Jesus talking to the Jewish scholar. What does the law say? How do you take that? Sometimes I'll get questions as a church, well, what does your church believe about this? And, uh, and I'll realize if, if I don't ask a good question, I'll go off on a wrong tangent. Like someone asked me one time, hey, is your church a charismatic church? And I would say, well, let me explain all that. Well, well, what do you mean by charismatic? Well, I mean, do you raise your hands when you sing? Oh, well, then, yes, we're a charismatic church. Well, I actually meant, did you practice this thing in the Bible? Oh, no, we're not a charismatic church. Like, but if I don't ask that question, I'm not really uncovering and I'm not really answering it. One last thought on this is good questions take advantage of the context. We're getting close to Easter. A couple of interesting questions to ask people. Hey, what does your family do on Easter Sunday? Why does your family do what they do on Easter Sunday? Just finding out what, what's, what's their background and belief like. I want to encourage you to be a collector of good questions. But we don't want to just ask questions like Jesus did. We really want to imitate listening like he did. And so to this question, how am I doing it listening like Jesus Years ago, I took a course on how to share your faith, and it, it was amazing. It was very comprehensive. It was, it was, here is what you need to say to somebody so that you can bring them to a point where they're going to go inside the circle, where they're going to cross over this line of faith. The focus was on telling. This is the path of conversation so that you can present the gospel. And it was a 40-minute presentation. So 38 minutes, oh, I don't have time. No, 40 minutes. And during this thing, it, it had a number of good questions in it, but you were only supposed to ask those questions in order to move the presentation along. In fact, our instructor told us that when we asked certain questions, it didn't matter at all what their answer was. That was unimportant. We might say, hey, when you died and you stood before God and you said, why should I let you into heaven? Which I've always thought is a horrible question. This thought of God going in heaven, all right, prove it to me. But we'd ask some of this question, hey, if you were to die and stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And it didn't matter what they said. 
That was a pretext for us to continue the conversation path. And what I realize now as I'm reflecting on that is that was not a conversation. It was a presentation. It wasn't asking. It was telling. I think Jesus Christ would have failed that class. Because sometimes we don't listen. Jessica may have told me that once. I don't really, I'm not really sure. <laughs> but think about it. We're, we're often thinking about what we're going to say. We listen for instead of to. Do you see a difference there? Listening for what you're saying. Okay, okay yeah, I'm going to respond to that. Okay, I'm going to, instead of actually saying, you know, I'm going to listen to. Sometimes we ask questions we don't really care about. How many of you know that person in your office that's going to ask you on Monday morning, how was your weekend? And they don't really care about your weekend. What do they want to talk about? Their weekend. And you're like, oh, I fell for that trap again. Sometimes asking someone about their belief system just so you can share yours feels the same way. Eh. One way to think about the way we listen might be to consider this question. Why am I in this spiritual conversation? Why am I here? Is it to tell them what I know? Is it to get them to agree with me? Is it to show them that they are wrong? Is it to get them to make a decision? Am I here to win their soul? One thing I think that fueled Jesus is he often said, hey, I only do, I only ask, I only go wherever I see God going. So he was always looking and answering this question, in this situation, why am I here? What is the Father doing that I need to respond to? And honestly, sometimes even though we are fired up to have spiritual conversations for God, it's really more about us. One of the things we talked about last week is to remember that it's his kingdom that's coming, not ours. And I thought what Bonhoeffer said here was just helpful. He just said this, God does not will that I should fashion the other person according to the image that seems good to me. That is, of course, what? My own image. I'm not here to get people to do what I want and to say what I want. I'm here to ask the question, God, what do you have me doing in this conversation and where does it go? So consider this, what if it was not my job to get them to leave their team and join mine? What if that was not my job? How would that then free me up just to talk about Christ and my experience with him and the truth I understand of him? I'm close the story, and then I'll give you something. I was reading about this guy named Luke who uh, works with college students, and he shares his faith, and they're talking about faith issues. And he said that one time he was having a conversation with this college student who proudly announced, hey, I'm an atheist. Oh, wow, well, let's talk about that. And the atheist challenged him, and he said, how can you believe in God when there's so much suffering in this world? Now, if I were Luke, my tendency would be to go, well, let me tell you why. I'll, I'll tell you these things, even though I don't have an answer for that question. But I would still try to tell him something. So he just listened more, and he, noticed, he said, I noticed that he was very passionate as he spoke, and I said, you really care about all the awful stuff in the world, don't you? The guy goes, yeah, I do. Especially when he started talking about this recent famine happening and how horrible that was. Sorry. So then Luke said, I asked him this question. Why do you care so much about what happens to people? The student began to explain about how he felt that every human being had value and worth and, and how those that, that have should care for those that are weak. And, and Luke said, after I heard him talk for a while, I just felt like God prompted me. And I said, I think you sound a lot more like a Christian who believes God made people in his image than an atheist who thinks that we're here by an accident. What do you think about that? 
He said this opened up another hour of conversation, and he soon became a regular at this event. And I want, to, I want to leave with that story because I, I want to think we can memorize all the right questions and good questions and all this stuff, but maybe one of the best things about asking good questions is just being a good listener. And I don't know that Jesus walked into conversations going, okay, I'm going to ask this, then I'm going to ask this, and if he says this, I'll ask this, but if he doesn't ask this, I'll ask this. I think he just walked in and he said, where is the Father in this conversation? And he listened and he was so good at responding to people. So here's something I want to offer you that might help. On the front page of our church website, you can go there, and there is an online spiritual conversation assessment. It's one of these things, it's a tool that you can click, answer some questions about, uh, and it's going to help evaluate how, where are you on some of your asking, and where are you on some of your listening, and how can you take steps to get better at talking with people about God. It's on the front page of our website. It's a little assessment. Uh, we don't see the answer, so it's not like we're going to come after you. It's just, it's just a tool for you. And I hope you'll take that this week. And I also hope this week that you will ask somebody a question and that you will listen to them and to what God is saying. And I'll just close with these words. They're words of a man who grew up with Jesus, who got to observe him talking and asking and questioning all of his life. And I think he summarized Jesus Christ very well when he said this, every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak. How can we be quick to hear this week in the conversations we have about God? Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God who asks questions. And you are a God who listens. In our conversations this week, will you help us to reflect you in our questions and in the way that we're quick to hear. Amen.